Why talk about anger on Communion Sunday? We are in the season of Lent. This is the season where we kind of do a checkup on ourselves to see the ways in which we may need a spiritual tune-up, if you will, or as the song put it, the places we may need to have just a little talk with Jesus. Now, the lectionary reading for today is Jesus clearing the temple, but another reason to talk about anger is if we are in any way connected to the larger world via the news, <clears throat> maybe podcasts, maybe social media, would you not say that anger is now in the very air that you breathe in this nation? Earlier this week, the news was still focused on the Parkland shooting, and I guarantee one, if not both of these individuals, that someone in here is going to be mad at either one or the other of these people. If you watch the CNN town hall. Now, on the left, um, Scott Israel, the Broward County Sheriff. On the right, Dana Lash, the NRA spokesperson. Anybody watch that CNN town hall? I listened to it. <clears throat> And when the NRA spokeswoman was speaking, I did hear one cry that sounded literally like, burn her. Now, I really hope it was just the echoes bouncing because there are a lot of people saying you're a murderer and that's very close. But regardless, there was so much anger there. When I had my moment was when I heard that not only was there one deputy standing outside of the doorway, not going in, but when I heard that there were two or three other deputies who did not go in that were behind their cars with their guns. Um, I was riding with my family, I was listening to a podcast, it got to that point, mentioned it, and Lori can tell you, I experienced a little righteous anger at that point. And I apologize, I didn't take it out on them, but they, she could tell, it flew all over me. And we've since learned that there was, at least somewhere in the chain of command, there was a stand-down perimeter, set up a perimeter and don't go in order. So, a lot of anger towards the one on the right, and then a few days later, a lot of anger towards the one on the left. And yes, I'm speaking both figuratively and literally here. <coughs> what do we do with this anger? What are people doing nowadays with this anger, huh? Tweet it, Facebook it, reply to something on YouTube, how about taking it out against other people during the day? You come up to that person who is serving you at the counter and you're going like, I better tread carefully because they have that look. Do you take it out on the people that you're closest to when you get home? Do you know what it stands for? WWJD. What would Jesus do. And then we have our reading for the day. <laughs> what did Jesus do here? 
Why was he upset? And yes, I do believe he was really upset. There is such a thing as the wrath of God. Now, in our reading today, it's saying you're turning, that he said, you're turning my father's house into a marketplace. And I think that's a good part of the story. The fact that here was a place set aside for God's worship and connecting with him. And it was being used for a different purpose. But I don't think he was, I don't think that was all of it because when this is reported in Matthew, Matthew adds this detail that Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. By the way, remember that doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. If you go back into the Old Testament and read, you will see multiple times where someone got in trouble by treating something sacred as if it were common. And you will hear messages in the Old Testament about worshiping God and reverencing God, not taking His name in vain, for instance. You will also find multiple statements along the following. I should have just gone ahead and quoted it, but if you want, I will put it on Facebook after the service and you can run the reference. I... The way I heard it was, I hate unjust scales, saith the Lord. What does that mean? Those of you on Weight Watchers thinking about your unjust scales the last time you weighed? I feel your pain. No, the unjust scales, this was the way they measured out how much something was worth. Now, you know the old joke about the person putting their thumb on the scale out of sight? to tilt the balance in their favor? You know, it's generally the people who don't have any resources or any ability, any connections. It is usually those persons who are impacted the most by the unjust scales. And how often, just imagine how often Jesus had gone with Mary and Joseph and as the younger brothers and sisters were coming along, the rest of the family, and they go to the temple and they would do their sacrifice and they would sacrifice the doves because that was a permissible sacrifice for those who did not have enough money for more. Remember on Jesus' dedication at the temple? They sacrificed the doves. That was probably their practice. How often had Jesus and Mary and Joseph traveled to the temple and how often had Jesus seen the unjust scales at work to the detriment of the people who were barely getting by? And how long had he wanted to make a statement about that? But it was not yet the time. Now... I personally don't like thinking of Jesus being upset. I don't. I don't like thinking of Jesus being impolite enough to get a set of cords together and use them as a whip. Now, he was not polite, but I don't think he was all out of proportion either. 
Because the whip would have been used to get the animals going. That was the motivation they were used to. Turning over the tables and the chairs got the money changers moving. But in our mind, sometimes I think we get the idea that he was going around with a whip and he was just wailing on the money changers. And that's not the Jesus we know. Maybe that's what we would have done. But that's not the Jesus we know. And when it was over, it was over. It doesn't say anywhere in the scripture that Jesus was carrying that anger around with him. If I remember correctly, this was the one asking the Father to forgive those who were crucifying him and who offered the man who was going to betray him a seat at the table of the Last Supper. So how are we to follow him? Okay. Maybe you've heard this verse. It's in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It's Paul writing to the church about dealing with one another in the church, but it can also be your relations in your job, with your spouse, coworkers, friends, family, at Christmas or Thanksgiving when everybody is on everybody's last nerve. Don't tell me that doesn't happen to you. Paul speaking to the church as a whole in Ephesians. Be angry, but do not sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. You've heard the old story about the husband and wife who said that was their philosophy of marriage. And said the longest we stayed awake was a week and a half. Didn't go to bed angry. Kind of makes it difficult. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And here's the kicker. Do not make room for the devil. The writer of Hebrews, that might have also been Paul, address that making room in this way. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness. That's what happens when anger curdles. Root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and through it many become defiled. Anybody know what that is? Thistle. Lori called it bull thistle. Ever had that growing in your yard? How about in your garden? The flower on the left looks pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of pretty, but oh, it is prickly, and you see those seeds about to blow off into the wind? Don't let that happen in your garden. Those things come up everywhere. They are hard to get out, and they will most likely cut you when you make the effort. But oh, it looks pretty and satisfying and nice and bright from a distance, doesn't it? Hmm. My concern today was this. We are in an era, an age, where these messages of frustration and anger and sides butting heads is so much a part of this world we are living in. But we know that in some cases, anger is the appropriate response. So what do we do? Well, God's Word says that if our anger is just, do not let it become sinful. So how about taking this? Treat others always regardless as persons deserving respect and understanding. How about this? Do not act all out of proportion. 
Anybody ever had your mama tell you, don't make a mountain out of a molehill? Anybody had that happen? Mm-hmm. Do not in frustration take past wrongs out on present family, friends, churchgoers, co-workers, motorists. If someone reminds you of someone else who really hurt you, acknowledge that to yourself. Confess it to God and do your best to not let it impact that start with that other individual. In short, give even your anger and frustration to God. Allow God to use that that just anger when it is holy, when it is what God's own response would be. Use it to move you to action, but don't allow it to turn you into someone you don't want to be. Make no room for the devil, but make room for love, for forgiveness, for the chance of reconciliation. Do your best in this age of anger to spread love, not hate, through the power of Jesus Christ. And maybe the most important thing, even if you don't feel it, we always seem to think love is just an emotion. According to a certain 80s songwriter, a secondhand emotion. But love can also be a practice of life and of the way you act as well. Even if you don't feel that emotion, set an example by your actions, not only for others, but also for yourself. If you do that consistently, then you might notice your feelings are starting to catch up and be what God would have them to be. Heavenly Father, help us in this age of adversity, anger, and anxiety to rest all of our cares upon You, to not be sucked into the worst behavior put on public display. Help us to live as Christ as the body of Christ, redeemed by His blood. Dear Lord, let it be. In His name we pray. Amen.